Hi there. I would like to open up with two things here. First off, a plug for the Patreon. If you would like to support the show, consider going to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. It helps out an awful lot. Second off, I believe we don't say this during the episode, but it's really important. In terms of things introduced in the talisman, this is huge. This is the first time I believe we are introduced to the white, the force, the, the greater universal force for good in the multiverse here. So uh, worth saying, although it plays just a minor role at the end, you know, just want to be complete. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books and related works by Stephen King and sometimes Peter Straub. My name is Cole Ross, uh, and I'm your host, and today I am joined by Zach Johnson. Hey, Zach. Hey, Cole. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming back. Thank you for hopping on this book. Yeah, thanks for giving me an excuse to read it again. This was uh, this was one of my favorites, and it had been many years. Yeah, um, it's pretty neat. We're talking about uh, the, 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 the talisman this time. Um, people who are listening will, will remember Zach. Um, I think you first guessed it on the Eyes of the Dragon episode. Yeah, I think that, and then the very first Wolves of the Callow one. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a nice parody between um, Eyes of the Dragon and this. I think. Yeah, in that in that both of them, I feel like only in retrospect did King decide that they were a part of the Dark Tower mythos. Yes, <laughs> um, fairly clearly. I uh, I had spent a little bit of time trying to track this down, but I could have sworn that. 20 years ago, I read in an interview him explicitly saying that this was, this does not take place in the Dark Tower universe, but then Black House came out, which was the sequel to this that explicitly is tied into it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would like to see that interview because uh, this is like very weirdly related to like the structure and mythos of the Dark Tower. And obviously he had written you know the gunslinger well before this yeah it's 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 yeah, really I, strange <laughs> my i remember for a long around this period of time like when i when i was growing up this this book came out when i was uh let's see eight and my dad was buying every stephen king book as it was written but in the list of previously by stephen king there was always the gunslinger and that was one that he could just never find mm-hmm um, and it was, you know, it was the eighties. So if you didn't know something, you just had to keep not knowing it. Like you couldn't, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess he could have like asked about it at a bookstore and they could have looked it up on some kind of old, uh, DOS terminal database or something. But, uh, it, this, this in rereading this, it felt like this kind of greatest hits pastiche of Stephen King tropes. But then every time I went to actually look one of them up, this predated whatever book I recognized it from. And yeah. so this, this just must've been where he wrote all of his good ideas down the first time. Yeah. <laughs> like this feels like a, like a sketch, um, of a bunch of stuff. And if you look at like his career, like, you know, kind of immediately prior to this, he was doing what, like the shining, um, and the stand and like Christine and, and I guess Christine was a little earlier than Christine and Carrie and the, kind yeah. of the more just like straight up horror ones. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But this, uh, the, the, this kind of weird, just parallel universes, psychedelic approach to medieval stuff and modern stuff kind of clashing. Um, 
Yeah, like like that 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 is Dark Tower all over the place, and it's really surprising to see how prominently and, it's it's you know laid out here. And I don't know, you know, I think it's potentially notable that this came out and was maybe conceived of after the Gunslinger, but before anything else. And like, I'm not sure that I believe that the Gunslinger was always meant to be the start of a saga. Right. You know, it 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 kind of had that like nice twilight zone ending where it's like oh wow man like what if our what if our solar system was just like an atom in a blade of grass on some giant alien world man <laughs> and like that was the idea of it and it was you know it was evocative and it cool and it, but it did the i guess the gunslinger had the moving between worlds stuff right um but but only only a little bit of it you know and it mm-hmm. uh and it, yeah it always it always felt like he just decided later on oh maybe Maybe I could turn this into a career-spanning epic. Yeah, like maybe, maybe this is the, the 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 saga that I'm going to hang my hat on and draw everything into. It's a little bit muddied because the account that we get of this is just in Song of Susanna in the in the in the author's note at the end. But that's like incredibly fictionalized, and it's difficult to kind of suss out how much truth is in that. How much and, he had just kind of let that lay fallow and then came back to it later. Yeah, and it's also it's also hard to remember your own motivations even five years on, much less thirty years on. Yes. So Yeah. But yeah, anyway, this 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 book has a ton of very, very similar imagery. It, it evokes the T. S. Eliot uh poem, The Wastelands, that is constantly evoked in The Wastelands. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, a lot of a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. The kind of evil building sort of uh, phenomenon from there the the importance of a key mm-hmm. it's a uh, i mean well a, a key being important <laughs> that, that that's yeah. a coincidence yeah, well, wait a, minute. A, key, a key that opens a particular door wait a minute what kind of crazy idea is that okay whoa whoa where do you come up with these ideas king <laughs> yeah um so so you so you, you said you really enjoyed this kind of back back in the day is this the second time you've read it uh i bet so I'll, I'll get to this when we uh, when we get to the the sunlight uh, school. But mm-hmm. uh, I my dad had shown me a passage of it that he particularly liked when I was a kid, and it was one that gave me absolutely no idea what it was about or any indication that it would be one of my favorite Stephen King books when I chose to read it. So I didn't read it until I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, I took it on a trip to Mexico to have something to read on the beach, mm-hmm. and I. It was one of only two books in my life that when I finished it, I just immediately turned back to the first page and started reading it again. Oh, nice. And read it and read it a second time right then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I, uh, I I came to it. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 12, 15 years after it was after it was written. But uh, yeah, always like that. I'm sure I'm sure I've read it again a time or two mm-hmm. in the meantime. I didn't already own it on Kindle, so I bet it wasn't in the last like 10 years. But uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I, I the the way that I research for the show is I, I I listen in audiobook and then I go back through and highlight passages and stuff. I didn't have this on Kindle. I like I finished this pretty close to when we recorded. Yeah, so a lot a lot of this stuff is still. This is my first time having having uh, encountered this. Um, oh, crazy! That's great. Yeah, yeah. I never read this before, and um, Black House is the last of the books for this that I haven't read yet. Like like the last of the books for the show that we're gonna that, that we're gonna cover, and I think that I just had always been a little bit intimidated by the idea of stepping into this new thing that was co written by somebody else. 
Yeah, I, I really wonder, did you track any information down about what that collaboration looked like? Because I sure can't tell. Yeah, I, I I couldn't find anything that said like, hey, this is how we this is how we split the duties. Like, oh, did like you know, was Peter Straub kind of in on the? Was he in on like the concepting and like the rough planning and because like a lot of the prose is incredibly Stephen King and even the tropes that it deals with, you know, are very Kingy, right? And I I did notice in this though a few times where and I this could also just be like me being older and having read more and and written more but there were times in this where I was like mm, man I, you really didn't need to use the same adjective three times in one sentence there like there were just a few little places like that where I'm like ah come on you're better than you're better than that Steve yeah and I, and I kind of made me wonder well maybe those were the straw parts and also there were some there were some kind of weird like continuity glitches. The only one notable one that I can think of where it's like, ah, this this seems like something that maybe slipped through the cracks if they were alternating chapters or, yeah. or maybe they were just like exquisite corpsing every word. <laughs> this, took, <laughs> this took decades to complete. It's yeah. a wonder it makes any sense at all. Since, since, since this, is a, this is a podcast for dorks by dorks, what, what was the continuity error that you noticed? Oh, uh, there's when he's leaving the the sunlight school, he just steals a bunch of money from the guy there. And then in the in the next chapter, he's broke again, like he was in the previous chapter. And it just doesn't mention it at all. Oh, maybe he blew it on the ponies. That's that's probably true. Yeah, it did. It did mention a horse track on the way out of town. So maybe (laughs) they were just trying to they were trying to spare us that uh, that thing that would make the character less less sympathetic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, let's uh, let, let's let's get into it because there, there there's a lot that happens here. Uh, kind of broadly, you know, we talked about this being a, a kind of a rough draft for a lot of things that we would end up seeing in the Dark Tower. Uh, this is the story of Jack Sawyer, the Stephen King stereotypical plucky young child hero, a twelve year old kid who is made aware of this alternate world uh, called the Territories. He's kind of sent on this quest across America and the the territories to find this object called the talisman uh, to save his mom's life. Uh, so something weird about this. So King, King and Straub were um, fans of each other, just mutual fans of their work. And like, hey, we ought to we ought to team up. Um, you know, they, they had talked about that until it did. Apparently, Bill Dembro and it is based on Peter Straub. I don't remember enough about it to know uh who is he the uh is he the John Ritter in the original miniseries? Uh no, John Ritter is Ben. Um Oh, is Bill Denver the one with the stutter? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh huh. Old stutter and Bill. Uh yeah, appara- apparently Peter Straub uh was uh he he had a stutter and he you know horror writer obviously and he had moved to England for 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 a short time just like uh just just like Bill had in and it Huh. He thrust his fists against the post and still insisted on writing ghost story. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So I just I, don't know, I thought that was I thought that was huh. cute. That's 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 fascinating. <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh. Th- there's a sequel to this book called Black House that's going to be covered later in season seven. I'd intended to do these next to each other, but it's really big. Um. And yeah. That that is more related to the Dark Tower. Um, and actually that is the first time that we hear about Crimson King's plan to use breakers to bring down the tower, which is, which is weird because like that happened, that book came out four years before, before the wolves of the Kala. So incredibly important information, I think. 
Yeah, and it's it, that one was also co-written by Straub, which it seems like a weird. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going to introduce the sort of what becomes the central plot point of the entire back half of the series mm-hmm. in a, in a thing that you're sharing duty with somebody. That's I... yeah. It seems like a gamble. And, you know, unless they had just, here's an arrangement where, look, I'm going to write the story and you're going to just write some of the prose. Yeah, which, yeah. Maybe, but. Who knows? It, it, is, it is very hard to tell. Like, there was, there, I, I couldn't point to a sentence of this book and tell you for sure that Stephen King didn't write it. Yes. The, the big difference, and this is something that I just, I just noticed, and it almost felt like, it almost felt like a, like a writing exercise, like in a class. Did you notice how just forward the description of smell was in this compared to like any other Stephen King book? Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't really, I hadn't really placed it, but yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense based on who the characters are and where they're going between or whatever, but it also, you know, maybe, I don't know where uh, Peter Straub lived before, but maybe moving out to the country. Mm. from from some city in america moving to the country in england made him uh made that forefront in his mind or something that's possible yeah that that, that was that like that that's the biggest difference that i noticed um you know at least at least in terms of style uh let's talk about the ways that this is connected to the tower uh the, the, there are many of them although a lot of these are things that were either retconned into the uh into the continuity or or concepts that were like straight up lifted uh, or pulled from this and made important uh, in the later entries in the books. So twinners, you know, we talked about the idea that, you know, different people exist in different worlds who are very similar and have kind of connected fates. See in Song of Susanna, um, oh gosh, the cra- handshake of the Manny and, um, oh gosh, the, the, the crazy street preacher guy, uh, Harrigan, uh, are explicitly called out, explicitly called out to be twinners. Um, uh, and, and they, this, re- they refer to them as twinners and this is the book where that word appears, right? Yes. Uh, the, this is the book where that, con- the, that concept and then kind of the mechanics of them sharing fates come through. So the idea that say Eddie is a twinner of, um, Cuthbert, uh, you know, is, is kind of brought in, uh, as well. So, uh, uncharitably, you could say that, you know, any given writer you know, t- tends to lean on particular kinds of people or concepts draws from a limited pool. And when you're as prolific as you are, you're going to make things that are really similar. And this is a way to kind of hang a hat to you know, put a hat on that idea. Um, yeah. And he, exp- he explicitly doesn't do that with Jake, but does with Eddie who comes into play in the second book, which came after this too. So, right. Right. And if you go looking around, like on the dark tower wiki, they're like, possible twinners who are listed so like eddie is listed as a possible twinner for um oh gosh uh what's what's his name from the shining for 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 danny um oh yeah you know specifically like like even in dr sleep danny says you know there are other worlds than these or he's listed as a twinner for um bobby garfield from um i always want to call him danny tanner instead of (laughs) danny torrance but um (laughs) weird weird prequel yeah But the Black House, which is also full. <laughs> uh, that got me. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, that's going to be really important here because uh, it, it, our main character is, uh, you know, is a singleton. You know, he's he is single natured, and that kind of lays out uh, something that's important. 
uh, for, for his function in the story. Uh, that was, that was a hell of a sentence I just said. Um, the other thing here, we've got this connection between two worlds, right? Um, you know, the territories and kind of this idea of a medieval analog to, you know, to America or to our world with magic instead of technology. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's sort of, you sort of get that in the Dark Tower series, although you get the sense that, that, that you know, there, I mean, you don't get the sense. You're explicitly told yes. the medievalness of that world is the result of it being kind of post-apocalyptic, whereas mm-hmm. in in the talisman, it's more just unspoiled. It's this The talisman feels more like that idea is born less out of wanting to make a grand sweeping fantasy and more out of the kind of environmental attitudes of of progressives of king's era when he's in his early 20s yes um so you end up having uh you know this kind of unspoiled agrarian kind of place and this further you know kind of exploration of a theme that king had done at least since the stand of technology versus either faith or magic and specifically the idea of this evil person uh, you know, or company in the case of North Central Positronics, who is aggressively encroaching um, in order to replace magic with technology and all of kind of the, the 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 rot that that brings. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of rules that get set up about the way that things move between these worlds and the, and the way that things correspond. And something that I like, I'm a sucker for a, a fantasy with a bunch of rules. Mm-hmm. And something that I really like about this is that it it. And I mean, this is, I guess, obvious from a how you should write stories perspective, but it only really cares about those rules insofar as they affect emotionally resonant objects or important characters. You know, it doesn't it doesn't get too into the weeds and it it lets itself break its own rules every once in a while when it's expedient to better storytelling yeah and that's yeah. that's something that i appreciate about it. The, the 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 idea of an emotionally resonant scene or uh you know <laughs> not forcing the characters to have to navigate around and waste a lot of time um it is always more important that the story be good than they than they hold themselves to the rules um and i think that that is sensible and leads to kind of a better product um it's I, they use they use sort of you know this teleportation as a deus ex machina so many times <laughs> that it's that it's strains credulity but at the same time it's like well they could have added a paragraph about then how they hitchhiked another couple days but what, what would that have achieved yeah yeah i mean just like just the the, the teleportation it, everything makes sense if you just think all right the the teleportation works and it's powered by a plot like it, it will just deposit you into some place that is similar to where you were, but brings you, you know, forward through the story, which makes a good, a good amount of sense. Um, and it even sets up these rules to show kind of how menacing it is when characters break it. So like when Sloat is breaking through between the worlds, like the nature of the way different people get back and forth actually kind of lends to their character a little bit. So, you know, Jack just pops in and out. Because he's not a, you know, because he's single natured. Other people, they just inhabit different bodies. Slow the 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 antagonist of this, he can just like straight up break through the sky. Um, yeah, I didn't exactly understand that. W- that was one of the things where I felt like it was like, ah, oh, we're not really paying attention to our rules here because it, it some of the time he just sort of appears inhabiting his twinner, mm-hmm. and yet some of the time it feels like he's able to like actually just come out of a hole and be the the twinner but still 
you know, has America behind him. Yeah, yeah. Didn't really... And there's kind of this, like, there's this, a little recollection he has that's kind of evocative of the jaunt, where it was like one time he he switched across when he was on a business trip to Japan, but he Mm -hmm. was so far away from his twinner that it took a really long time for his consciousness to land in the other guy, (laughs) uh, which was a cool idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this was pre-jaunt or... The jaunt feels like it was written before that. Yeah, the jaunt feels like it was something that was like collected in Skeleton Crew, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I think that like that specific scene where he rips through the sky or wherever one of these twinners just breaks the rule like that, that's a little bit like the bomb going off in the stand. Like, yeah, we just got to move this forward. (laughs) Like we can just have a disaster that goes Um, uh, along with that. This is another book where uh, the idea of thinnies is kind of explored, you know places where reality is thin between one world and the next uh specifically around the black hotel but there are a couple of places um throughout where you know things just kind of tend to bleed um and they're explicitly called thin places in reality so along with the mist this predated um this predated wizarding glass but he had been playing around with this before are there specifically i mean you might know this from the monster in my podcast stuff is is the idea of a like localized geographic incursion of another world onto this one sort of as an accident or just kind of as weather does that come from any specific thing in lovecraft or does it just like seem like the kind of idea he would have had it seems like the kind of idea that he would have had um i think the closest analog that you have is like the 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 the, the dreamlands um, but that is like places where you go deep enough that you can travel there physically as opposed to, you know, through sleep and the 77 stairs and things like that. Um, yeah. so, you know, so there, so there are places like the Lang plateau that kind of just kind of form into the land of Lang, um, you know, adjacent to the dreamlands. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think, I think that that's kind of from that, but I have no idea if Lovecraft himself was even pulling from like, you know, further more transcendental ideas you know or even from like christianity i I just don't have the basis for it it's such a powerful idea Mm -hmm. you know just just that like whoops another world is here now yep (laughs) like oh yeah things things fall through like you hear about that like in seances or like mysticism right like oh the I'm just going to pull a bullshit example. The Druids congregated here because this is where the veil is thinner. Like this sure. is this is where they can, you know, commune with intersection the of intersection of ley lines means that this area is closer to its equivalent in like the fairy kingdom or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or the idea that like in you know me- Mexican folklore, you know, Day of the Dead um is kind of the the the, the time of year when the barrier between the, you know the living world and the and the world of the dead is thinnest. So they can visit each other, you know, by going and yeah. decorating the graves and stuff. Yeah. Um, those feel like examples to me. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't yeah. thought about it very deeply. That was it. That was a list of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, all of this, you know, the, the, these kind of things are a little bit um, smoothed over by the fact that by the time King put out Black House and he had a little bit of an idea of the way that this was going to put together, he basically just said, yeah, black house, uh, you know, the, the, the territories are either adjacent to or part of all world, or it's another level on the tower. Like this is, you know, just like any of the other, um, levels of the tower that he would have written about in different stories like it, or, 
you know, 11, 22, 63, uh, things like that. Uh, it's sort of his, a wizard did it at this point because yeah, it, you know, all it, a thing that is the nexus of all possible worlds. Well, <laughs> you know, any, any given one that's in there. <laughs> sounds, sounds powerful to me. Um, and his description of the talisman and even, uh, uh, Jack's encounter with it is just very much like the vision that Walter shared with Roland in the palaver. Even mentioning, specifically mentioning a blade of grass. Right. Yeah. Um, and Jack's kind of revelation that like, oh, this is, you know, it's not just two worlds. He's falling, you know, through multiple worlds. The revelation that it's not just like twinners, but it's octuplets that it's, you know, just kind of a hallway of mirrors on down the line. Like all of this is pulled in. It's ideas that he was obviously uh, playing with the blasted lands here. Um, very similar to the wastelands, but who knows if that is just him loving that poem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, there's stuff like on the wikis and on Stephen King's website that says that the territories were mentioned in the wastelands. I couldn't go back through and like check. I did a search on Kindle. I think you know, I, I just did a search in the ebook and it's like all that I pulled back was a single sentence that Calvin tower used when he was like joking with Jake about him being a cowboy. Huh? Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I don't want to regurgitate a piece of like wiki fluff that may just be out of, you know, out of line. I don't know if like it, at some point, if they had gone just a little bit further, they would have passed under the tracks of Blaine the Mono or something like that. But yeah, you know. I wish I could have found that interview that I swear I remember reading where mm -hmm. he where King just said it wasn't meant to have been there because <laughs> I like I would have found that after the Wastelands came out for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, so, when people yeah. said, wow, this is really similar to, and he's like, no, 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 it's different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's kind of get into the book itself and talk about some of the events here. Um, just like any of these full book episodes, we're going to go a little bit quickly. We're going to gloss over stuff just because this has to be, you know, a reasonably length episode. Complete and finite time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, part one is called Jack Lights Out. Um, and it, you know, we've got this kind of really dismal scene of this kid who has no structure in his life. You know, this 12 year old with his mom on the run and he doesn't really know why at this hotel after the tourist season is, is, is done the tourist season that King writes about, like everybody knows what it is. Yeah. It reminded me of, it reminded me of like the, the like sad version of the beginning of the karate kid. <laughs> yeah that's, that's pretty good yeah uh but he's but but he's with his mom like she had you know they, they had kind of left new york to escape harassment from this morgan sloat that's a villain name have i ever heard it yep yeah um he just doesn't sound you can, there's nothing nothing you can do with that name to no. not have it just be it's like Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know that Jabba the Hutt is not going to be your friend. Yes. Noted, noted philanthropist uh, Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like just uh, she's getting these calls. Um, you know, she is, uh, his mom is this kind of former uh, B-movie star. Uh, you know, who used to be kind of really big, uh, you know, just really big in the scene. The queen of the bees, they called her. And Jack's dad was her talent agent. They've got this connection to this, you know, to this business back in back in Hollywood. 
Um, and I love the idea that there is this parallel, the twinner of the kingdom of, uh, of the territories is just, is just this talent agency that also buys some land, you know, yeah. like they're, they're trying to get a hold of. It's really strange. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's plot expedient, you know, it's, that's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So it's and, Mor- and Morgan Morgan Sloat is uh, Jack's dad's former business partner yes. at the talent agency from before he. Uh... Do we know? Do we know? We know that Phil Sawyer, Jack's dad, is dead at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. He's he, he's not in the picture. Um, like it's, it's around this point too, where they're talking about like uh, one of the instigating instances. They uh, hear about the death of another quote uncle that they had. Um, somebody who was run down in a car, you know, like a, like a hippie car, uh, that had wild child written on the side of it that was driven by somebody from the territories or ter- territories or some of the twinners is what we find out later on. Um, and I think that it is, it is referred to that like, you know, first, first it was Jack's dad, first it was Phil. And then all these other people who are kind of around Sloat, uh, keep on dropping like flies. And Sloat is trying to get Jack's mom to sign some papers that will presumably give him a controlling interest in the in the the company and the land that he needs. Yes, to and to enact his sinister plans. Yeah, yeah, just the 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 resources and control to you know bring even more of this technology over the over to the territories in order to dominate it and exploit it for resources, and just generally be evil all that oh no it's, it's slowed is just real like monomaniac dot text <laughs> like it's yeah his his goal is literally to be the king of the world and that's <laughs> that is what he is trying to do throughout, yeah throughout the book i think they do an admiral job of at least trying to close the distance between how uh grandiose that idea is and just kind of morgan slowed himself like just uh yeah. you know by giving him you know just a little bit explaining his his deficiencies in a way that doesn't so much make you feel sympathetic, but you can say, yeah, like he's just this guy who wanted to be in show business, but didn't have the talent. He is this guy who people just generally ignore, even though he's this schemer who just really fucks people over. Um, and also like physically, like he's a kind of, kind of a dumpy, I, I get like a, like a George Costanza kind of vibe out of his description. Yeah, That's how, that's how I always pictured him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so not a good guy and is, you know, trying to squeeze Jack and Lily out of this. And Lily's got, you know, other stuff going on. Uh, she's sick. Uh, you know, Jack knows this, you know, at least on some level, but he doesn't. Uh, it's not confirmed for him until he meets Speedy Parker uh, pulled from the Stephen King uh, bag of tropes. The uh, the magical black person. Yep. Yeah. Uh, talks in the thick patois. It, we're just gonna have to go with it. Um, I, when I was when I was listening to this, I was like, "Oh, they're gonna do this again. This is this is like The Shining. This is the groundskeeper in The Shining." Yeah, I can't picture anything other than exactly that guy from The Shining movie. Yeah, when... Scatman Crothers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Speedy Parker is this uh he's like a handyman, former blues man kind of guy. Uh and you know, when Jack is kind of walking around this closing down amusement park, he calls Jack by the nickname that his dad used to use, Traveling Jack. Um, and this is enough to not just get Jack to go into Speedy's shack, but also to get him to drink Speedy's uh Speedy's wine. 
<laughs> some of his, some of his was what did Michael Jackson call the oh, the Jesus the, juice. the Jesus juice yeah <laughs> no, yeah no it's a it, it, it here it's called it's called Speedy's magic juice um mm-hmm. because Speedy has wonderful tales that can jibe with Jack's experience right Jack used to have these powerful daydreams you know and he you know just uh, just kind of has the sense that he you know goes places and you know his mom even gets worried like they know about this um and speedy tells him about the territory showing him a photograph you know that appears to be of you know just wild savannah basically and over the course of this interaction uh speedy lays out the quest basically saying like yeah you know your mom is sick there's a way to help her and by doing that you are also going to save the queen of the territories laura deloessian um a twinner of your of, of your mother and in order to convince him that this is true he gives him a sip of the juice and jack flips over and this is and he's kind of stuck there for a little while like it, he gets there and it's a little treacherous and it's and it's weird seeing how it, like he seems to go through this kind of uh rising to the occasion hero's journey thing very very quickly yes. because it's not not long after this that he's like really kind of in charge of the situation even though a bunch of bad stuff still happens to him he gets yeah. there and he's scared because it's just this crazy different world and he's kind of uh yeah not supposed to be there and they can tell he's not from there <laughs> he it, it rocks his uh it rocks his sense of reality For, fortunately i don't think he interacts with anybody on this first go but like he eats a bunch of food and just gets kind of used to this and we're introduced to some of the mechanics of how this works like he walks 500 feet in one direction and when he flips back he's like a mile and a half down the road oh uh, yeah i'd forgotten about the little first trip yeah um and also he's wearing different clothes when he gets there yes he notices that his his clothes have been replaced with medieval equivalents of his clothes. Yes. Um, and also he thinks and speaks in a different language, but it is still uh, discernible to him. Like he understands it in his head as English. But, uh, you know, that, that gets around the, wow, how do you know my slang and stuff? It just there's an instant kind of translation that goes on. Um, you know, and Speedy Parker, like he's, you know, he's a twinner as well. Pretty much says, like, yeah, you know, so old Bloat or Stoat or whatever his name is, he's got a twinner over there, Morgan of Oris. I've got mine, you know, Parkus somewhere down there. Uh, you know, there are people who are going to try to stop you because what you're what you're doing is important. I kind of hate that Speedy Parker's twinner's name is Parkus. Yeah. It's just like that was like, okay, so, haha, what's your real idea for what we should call this guy? <laughs> like we're just we're just gonna go with the with the first one. That's a that's a four, uh, okay. that's a four fifty five on a Friday kind of thing, is what it yeah. sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah, Parkus. We don't meet Parkus until later. Uh but uh he's he's definitely He's definitely there. There are times, um, you know, when Speedy kind of appears or speaks to him, it is Parkus kind of uh, uh, projecting, uh, you know, doing kind of a benevolent possession, at least here with um, at least here with Speedy. And then a little bit later on in Ohio when he gets there. Uh, something I like about this book is the majority of the place and incident just happens around where I've lived my entire life. You know, Ohio, really just Ohio and the midwest in general yeah i like the kind of indiana illinois parts like you know i've 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 been to bars like the oatly tap you yep. know it's <laughs> it's not good but they're there 
Yeah. So, um, but what Jack has to do is venture out to California. Do not fly. Oh my God, don't fly. <laughs> I, lo- I love that again as a narrative convenience. Yeah, because he might accidentally flip over and then be... Well, I don't know. He'd probably only be 50 or 60 feet off the ground. Would you volunteer to drop 50 or 60 feet? <laughs> yeah, why not? It's, <laughs> it's fine. There'd be some nice spongy grass and it would smell great. Yeah. Oof. It's not none of the diesel, none, none of the just uh, the industrial waste. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just used to the industrial waste. Jack, uh, he smells it everywhere. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but he's got to go to California to a kind of the twinner of the hotel that his mom is at, get the talisman and, and bring it back, but be sure not to drop it. And so Jack, he's all in, he wants to save his mom. So he packs up his backpack. He's got a bottle of Speedy's magic juice, which we can just say now is just rock gut wine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a Dumbo, a Dumbo's, um, feather, uh, kind of deal. Uh, you know, just it just convinces him. Like it is, a, it is a trigger for him to. Uh, it's, a, it's a real Willow's finger. Yes. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, so, it's just a. It's a. It's a real. The magic was in you all along. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's got to go over there. Uh, uh, Speedy also gives him a guitar pick. Uh, to show to somebody named. Uh, named Farron on the other side. And Jack somehow is able to convince his mom uh, to let him go. Yeah, I don't remember what he actually says to her. Hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get some cigarettes in California. <laughs> yep. I'll call. I'll call, maybe. <laughs> I think um, uh, the, 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 the thing that opens up the kind of the weakness is she calls him Travel and Jack when he shows up at the tea house that she's at. And he mm. like he uses that as a wedge. Like, hey, speaking of that, um, speaking speaking of my dad, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that that, that that's what gets him get, gets him to Did, go. Are we ever explicitly told that she definitely knows about all of this stuff? No. It seems it seems unlikely, given what you know about the characters, that Phil would have concealed it from her. Right. But she never she never mentions it. There's um there's a scene late in the book where she is delirious and she thinks that she senses her son's presence and she calls out the name Jason, which is the name of Jack's deceased twinner on the other side. Yeah. She's like, oh wait, my yeah, the re- my son's name is Jason. Described as being singular in a sort of a Jet Li the one uh, <laughs> way because it's not that he was like born special. It's just that every other version of him died somehow. <laughs> Yeah, there's so, a, it's got a real uh, got a real Bioshock Infinite uh, in, Infinite Comstocks uh, kind of deal going on. You know, yeah, which that's it. I guess if if it you know when it when it is revealed that there are not just these two worlds, but a sort of infinitude multiverse, that's a real coincidence for uh, for all of them to be de- infinity minus one jacks are dead and he's the only one that's still alive and that's how he's able to move around how crazy would it be if like morgan pointed his key at him and like he all of a sudden just experienced at once each of those deaths oof <laughs> i don't know i don't mean take to take a while i don't, I don't... <laughs> so appendixes a through j are yeah <laughs> um yeah I, I don't mean to punch up stephen king's work but yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. I, I do that all the time. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, this ends. These were written a long time ago. People have had a lot better ideas since then. True, true. Yeah. Something that I like about this, uh, and you know, it's just something you're not going to get. The idea of a kid setting out across a country without a cell phone makes him feel much more isolated than any other kid would be if they did the same thing today. Yeah, it's weird because it would be so much safer for a 12-year-old to get from the East Coast to California by himself now Mm -hmm. than it was in the 80s, but no one would ever dream of letting them do it because it would would be unconscionable even though it would be way easier and they would be way less likely to have something bad happen to them. Yeah, I also feel like today, you know, who knows? Maybe this is just me placing primacy on the stranger danger that I have experienced growing up in the early 90s and, you know, all of that. Just like looking at how sheltered kids are today with their participation trophies. Um, <laughs> no, it was just like the, the, the idea of a kid standing by the side of, road, side of a road with his thumb out, like it just doesn't seem like anybody would participate in that. Like, sure, I will pick you up and take you to the police, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what like when I was in high school, I had friends that would still occasionally hitchhike places, mm-hmm. you know, but like... Yeah, boy, I don't, it doesn't. I never see hitchhikers on the interstate anymore. No, no. And I used to all the time. Yeah, I just, I just don't think it's the done thing. Yeah, no. but it, but but it does lend like just the the idea of getting across America as a as as a kid like this, disconnected from everybody else, does kind of recontextualize the countryside a little bit more and make it feel foreign and dangerous. In a way that it doesn't yeah. when you're just zipping by on your own steam in a car you own. Yeah, you know, and big. Yes. Uh, um, I guess if you think about it, Uber is kind of like, well, the big corporations have just taken over hitchhiking. Now, oh, geez. a way to make, make profit off of it. <laughs> They've disrupted hitchhiking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so occasionally we get these uh, the, these uh, interludes with Sloat uh, getting descriptions. Kind of the establishing moment for him is the anecdote about how he just made life hell for a Chinese family that owned a storefront in one of the buildings that he owned. You know, yeah. so he's somebody who takes things into his own hands, although he never does the killing himself. Uh, one of the things that he benefited from by connecting with the territories by Jack just kind of foolishly um, and showing no insight into other people's characters, uh, not Jack, um, Phil, uh, showing no insight into Morgan's character shows him all of this infinite potential. Like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you access to all these resources and these people who will kill for you. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get a whole, a whole army of werewolf mercenaries to do whatever you want. <laughs> um, and this takes us to the road of trials. Um, part, so part two and part three are kind of the extended road trip section of this, um, starting when Jack, uh, flips over to the queen's pavilion, um, and meets this guard Farron, uh, that, you know, at the territories version of the, of the hotel that his mom is at. Um, the guitar pick is now like Jack calls it a, a shark's tooth. This is a dragon's tooth, right? Zach? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Is that do they ever say anything about they like dragons are mentioned every once in a while in passing? Yes, but it's it is in any case it's is it like scrimshod? I forget if they describe it as being it's it's like in carved it, up. It's inlaid with like gold and stuff. Um, maybe it's better that it's just a mystery because like 
it's almost to, 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 to fair and it's profane that this kid has it. And he goes through several different changes of disposition uh, to, to, you know, to, to, to Jack. We don't know why Jack is special yet in the story, but to give a little bit of context to the way, pe- the way people react to him, um, Jason, the son of the queen is kind of considered to be a little bit of a savior figure. And so people just say Jason as they swear, they, they, they swear on his name. Um, and Jack doesn't know that yet. Yeah. 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 I guess Jack eventually like the sort of more literally Jesus than most of the equivalent 12 year old boy characters in King's other stuff. Yes. (laughs) The, the idea of this, of this deceased hope that comes back or is, you know, fated to come back, uh, that people, uh, you know, are keeping an eye out for. At least his last name didn't start with a C. Yes. That would be um, very on the nose. I'm glad that they swerved away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On the way into seeing the queen, we are uh, introduced to Osmond, uh, one of this world's Morgan's lieutenants. Crazy guy with a whip who loves saying that all boys are bad. It's axiomatic. Uh, Such a good phrase. I I love love it. it. I I just, so when we meet his twinner and it's just kind of his... His I'm losing my mind nervous tick word. It is very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he'll be important later. But the, you know, the, the, the main idea here is that Jack gets a glimpse of the queen sick in her bed in this pavilion and like, oh, yeah, it looks exactly like my mom. That is the proof that I need. Uh, we need to go. I love the comedy of Farron getting Jack into the, into the pavilion by pretending Jack is his bastard son who he's punishing. Yeah. Just dragging him (laughs) around by the ear so that like, he's like, oh, okay. I don't want anybody to know what's going on. So I'm just going to take the hit and pretend that I have an illegitimate child that I'm beating. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I guess that's, uh, I guess that's where we're at. I guess that's just okay here. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, but something that's cool about this is that, you know, Jack comes from a, a showbiz family. So like, he's able to put this on and like that ends up being a little bit useful to him or quite useful to him, uh, throughout the book in, you know, in kind of sticking with stories and, you know, selling this stuff. So that's kind of the first appearance that we get here. Um, so Farron sends him out with this coin saying, like, Hey, you know, take this, you'll know when to use it. Uh, and, and also, please look out for Morgan's caravan, which they call Morgan's Diligence, which is a good, yeah, a good name for I that. I feel like I've encountered that in some other context, but I might just be remembering it from this. Yeah. It's um, yeah, and this is a very Fellowship of the Ring like direct scene lift. Oh, right, yeah. it's uh, like dark, dark, ominous horses going along a road the the main character hiding in the woods waiting for it to go past like mm-hmm. nazgul af <laughs> yep uh the, the the person just kind of like looking and it seems like it seems like they see him but they don't and they and, and they pass on it's it's really funny because like king straight up says you know or said when you, you know when he was talking about the stand like oh yeah the stand was my attempt to write the the lord of the rings you know, like adapt that to America. And then he just turned around and did this. And then he turned around and tried to do it with the dark tower too. Yeah. He had, he had kind of talked about doing it with just with the gunslinger too, because right. it was more, cause it, I don't, Stephen King would have been 
pretty young when the uh, when in the in like 68 or 69 when lord of the rings really hit hard in mm-hmm. america with with hippies yeah right? I, I forget when do you remember when stephen king was born i think he was born in 48 he would have been 10 and oh, 58 yeah yeah okay so yeah it, but but yeah it's uh he, he does seem to have, and i never really picked this up until i read him saying it although this is just there are so many direct like at the end with the water suddenly surging up to stop the bad guys from doing what they need to do and mm-hmm. that kind of thing like there's a bunch of a bunch of just very very direct just ripped off things from the lord of the rings not even homages yeah <laughs> it's kind of like oh yeah that like that that totally worked there let's just use that no need to reinvent the wheel <laughs> Then also one from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Like, uh, let's say let's say that was Peter Straub. Like, yeah. I'm just gonna. Was <laughs> it very? Chris Chris Farley popping in to say, "Hey, remember uh, remember remember at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when I." <laughs> I'm just picturing Susie being like, I don't know, Pete. I think people are going to know. Oh, they won't know. Let's just do it. You, <laughs> yeah, this you is, it's an enduring image. Waxy waxy skin melting off until all it's left is a skull. That's, that could be anything. It's an enduring image. <laughs> it's all this time. <laughs> it's man versus man, man versus society, man versus rapidly dwindling skin on his face. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh yeah so so jack is hiding out uh from morgan of oris uh kind of this heavy metal warlord that is over here he's almost killed by a bunch of uh, again they they just cite ants like like oh that these are bad ants these carnivorous trees that go after him and wrap him up um and he flips there, there's also specifically that in in fellowship of the ring too isn't there like there's the willow the willow that starts to Oh, like suck, the, like suck him up, and then Tom. Ba- I don't. I don't think it's in the movie because that's where like Tom Bombadil comes to save them. Yeah, and I no. think they they took that entire part out, but it's literally just like roots snaking across the ground and mm-hmm. wrapping around Hobbit legs. Yeah, it's a uh, like I think that happens with Tom Bombadil, and he says like, "Oh yeah, keep keep an eye out for Strider. He's in these parts. Yeah, uh, you know, and watch out for the short sword that'll glow." Like, yeah, I think that absolutely. Wow. Huh, I don't know how to feel about that actually. Yeah, cuz they're just right next to each other. Uh-huh. It yeah, it's hmm. Hmm. I I can't I can't say that it works any more or less for me here than it did there. No, and it's and it, they're clearly not like trying to pull one over on us, but again, it just kind of feels like a hey, remember Lord of the Rings? Yeah, like, a little bit. Um, but like not even trying to launder it through um all text is just discovered pieces of other realities like the Dark Tower would do. Like if yeah. if this was part of the Dark Tower, Eddie would say, "Oh my gosh, it's just like the Lord of the Rings tapes I would listen to when I was high." And they mention he mentions Lord of the Rings once when he's describing the kind of thing that that Richard uh, Sloat would not read. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and also the the in the movies, uh, Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings movie is playing. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, huh. I don't know. We 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 can put a pin on that and kind of sum it up at the at the end. See how we yeah, see how yeah. we feel about the direct lift. Uh, ugh. Yeah, it's right now, though, it feels incredibly blatant. Um, but Jack is kind of shook by this. Like, OK, if the trees are going to eat me, I need to stay where I know what the trees can do. Uh, so he ends up 
uh, trying to do most of this in in our world where the distances are not uh, constricted, right? Uh, hitchhiking with a well-rehearsed story until he gets to just chooses chooses by random. I'm going to go to this town called Oatly where I'm going to be trapped uh, for a long time by a disreputable businessman. Yeah, he gets goes into a bar with a help wanted sign and ends up ends up trapped there by a bunch of extremely abusive and abused people. Yes. Yeah. Um he he refers to it as the pitcher plant. Like oh, geez. That's a that that, that is a very good metaphor for this. Uh a lot of ominous telephone stuff happens. Uh Yeah. Boy, Stephen King is good at that though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just uh uh the the idea of the spooky telephone call that is meaningful but could plausibly just be a, a mistake yeah it's a real shame that it, like in 50 years that is just going to read as nonsense because no one will have seen a telephone on a wall or on a desk right uh, forever yeah um but yeah no some real some real spooky stuff <laughs> um also he is uh harried by this uh thing that he uh, calls it the elroy thing like this just local cowboy mill worker who has you know at times these glowing orange eyes that he recognizes from things that he has seen in um seen in the territories like at one point he had seen like a uh like a vortex in the sand that had these eyes in the middle of it um, you know, kind of reaching out, uh, again, pulling out this idea of either Sauron or the Crimson King, uh, any of these things, you know, kind of looking at you and seeing you and reporting back. Uh, and all throughout these, all throughout these like second and third sections, he's remembering things from his childhood that, that correspond to the things that he's seeing. And like more and more of the story of what happened with his dad and the territories is, is coming to him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the inciting incident to get him out um, is he is attacked by uh, the Elroy thing, which is turns into like a were goat in a bathroom in a really good scene. Um, yeah, <laughs> just it's a, real. It's real. It's real. Like explicitly rapey. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's something we should probably talk about, um, or at least, or at least mention if somebody's going to go into this. Uh, Jack is really sexualized in this. They play yeah. they play on the fear of predation of young of young boys and young people quite a bit either, you know, in scenes like this, you know, where the, you know, like there there there's a strong kind of like rapey undertone uh to it um and even on the road when he just has a sense for when he is picked up by, you know, somebody who you know, has a less than wholesome interest in helping this boy get across, get across the, uh, the country. Yeah. And it's weird. There's an interlude where it says, well, but you know, he's used to it because he did grow up in LA after all. And a nice looking young boy in LA boys effectively gets harassed as much as a woman does. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was it, I, like, I couldn't tell where the woke meter was pointed there because it was like, well, like on the one hand, it's kind of an explicit acknowledgement of rape culture and how, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess how annoying it is. Yeah, uh, but like, but that's as far as that's as far as it goes. But but also, but also, those gays sure do love to predate on young boys. Which, like, uh, I don't know, dude. Like, yeah, that is <laughs> that that feels like a like an incredibly dated kind of boomer understanding of. Of, of of homosexuality 
Yeah. You know, and you, you just kind of the, the, the general defense, you know, like when King writes a character who is who is really racist or, you know, uses slurs or things like that, like the, the, the defense would be, oh, he's not saying that's a good person. In fact, he is using that to play up how bad they are. You know, like this is this is a code or this is a signal uh, that people are supposed to kind of tune into. Like, OK, yeah, I, I get it loud and clear. Um, but there's an aspect of that, just like there, just like there's an aspect of this here that says this is based in a it kind of a, a, a fundamental truth about a kind of person or kinds of people. And it is still like reinforcing it to a certain degree yeah i will yeah. i'm willing to say that the woke meter is pointed to like whoa yeah. 1984 was a really different time <laughs> yeah but but it was like but what what struck me was the actual like sort of acknowledgement of that being hard for women which yeah. is not like a lot of things would not mention or, yeah. or recognize that which was i was like well huh okay yeah like because I probably wouldn't have even bothered to talk about it on here if it hadn't had that element to it. Right. Which was, which was, you know. Yeah. So, like, maybe it's a little bit, like, like it is, it has taken some steps, but it is not out of yikes zone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and women, women in this book in general are not, they're mostly not there, I guess, is about the best you can say for. It's kind of uh, striking, actually. It is it is mostly women who are who like who who exist in trouble. In fact, I can only think of two notable ones. Well, yeah, exactly. And there, but one of them is the sort of like uh, he beats me because he loves me, and the other one is the uh, well, I'm I'm dying. I guess I'll wait for my son to save me. Yeah, yeah, two two and a half because oh. <laughs> because I think that I think that his mom and her twinner only count for point seven five. I guess that's I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I guess you know you you meet a couple of farmers' wives. True. Yeah. Uh, but not. I guess one of them gets a name. But I think she's just Mrs. Whatever. Like, yeah. So, yeah. 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 There. There's the the the, the mom um, who he rides with. That's the, the the mom of the family, and the the dad kicks him out, kicks him out out of the wagon. Uh, you know, after he asks, like, "Hey, are you on the run for political reasons?" You know, they say, "Like, yeah, well, you." You're on your own, buddy, uh, because we are simple people. We don't want to get wrapped up in that. Um, yeah, no, women are just kind of not present in this. Um, so, yeah, this is not necessarily the most forward looking, uh, the most forward looking thing. I guess he used up all of his women in carry. Yep. <laughs> for that. He only he only gets like four or five a decade. Yeah. He had to he had to he had to, uh, he had to mortgage all of a decade's worth of women. It's <laughs> like, fuck, why did I make Christine a girl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Jack is uh, back in uh in, in america and you know, kind of a long hitchhiking kind of sequence this is where he runs into that family uh who kind of kicks him out um you know and he has kind of recollections again bringing out more people uh remembering this disaster that happened to jerry bledsoe this handyman who uh who died uh in a horrible electrical fire that is very gruesomely described um, and he makes this connection because after he left one of these towns, one of the towns where he flipped, um, uh, there was a disaster, like a tower collapsed kind of right where he flipped. So he has this you know, idea in his head that is somewhat borne out that things that happen in one world can have consequences, um, that, uh, you know, are disproportionate in another. 
Yeah, he's in the territories and he sees a tower in the distance, which is just a big wooden thing that these guys are climbing and then jumping off of with like wings strapped to them for mm-hmm. fun. And when he when he flips across, there's a tower of approximately the same height that's an apartment building that's being built. But mm-hmm. there was a little earthquake. And I I had always interpreted this as it if if he actually did cause it, I thought that it had been because it describes him as just like absent mindedly digging a hole and burying an apple core in it. Oh, and I I interpreted it to be that that was the thing that he did that caused the weird tremor that mm-hmm. was near the tower. Uh, but I but I have no idea if that was the intention of the story. That was just what I always how I always read it. Yeah, I didn't draw that connection. Um, it's it's but really it seems like every footfall would that that's the thing. It's like it. It these rules are only evoked because it needed to it needed to motivate him to stay in the in the normal world for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Ellie, just every footstep would be a butterfly effect times a million, right? Like at one point we hear a conversation between Jack's dad and Sloat talking about like, hey, remember that 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 skirmish that broke out, you know, because we messed around with some stuff. Like, oh yeah, like it, you know, it'd be difficult to call that a war because you know only a hundred or so people died. Well, that happened on get up september something of 1939 like oh so they caused world war ii good job guys yeah Yeah. um i i don't (laughs) i don't know what to make of that but that that is kind of underlined here uh that there are these uh consequences that go back and forth however with jerry bledsoe it's also kind of implied that uh that morgan had set him up to get him out of the picture too um let's talk about wolf zach yeah boy you know (laughs) Cole, I like you, but if Wolf told me to kill you, I would not even ask him to explain. I would just do it. Oh, no. And if you said, hey, I'm sorry, Wolf told me to kill you, um, I'd be like, all right, well, I'll dig a hole. I'll, I'll help you dig a hole <laughs> so you can bury me just fine. <laughs> yeah, Wolf's, Wolf is very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Wolf is this teen. He's, he's a teen wolf. Yeah, he's a, he's a he like uh, he like. Uh, oh, God damn it. Michael. Jay Fox? No, the guy from the guy from Little House on the Prairie who the dad from Little House on the Prairie who uh he died in the 80s and he was in that I was a teenage werewolf movie. He was in like a black and white horror movie when he was young. I, I don't I don't know. I, I can't I can't go with you on this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. It's uh, what is that god damn the dad from Little House on the Prairie. Come on, Cole, be older. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I I read the books and the television show bored me whenever my whenever my grandma Michael, would watch Michael, it. Michael Landon. Oh. Michael Landon. Maybe maybe you remember him as touched by an angel, or maybe <laughs> all of this happened before you were born. No, no, I I, I know all these shows. I've seen episodes <laughs> okay. of all these shows. Anyway, t- yeah. uh, that th- sorry that went nowhere. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, but Wolf, uh, you know, uh, Jack run, r- runs into him in the territories. He flipped back uh, for, for, for some reason. Uh, he's he's this 16-year-old kind of giant of a boy, uh, you know, who has wild hair. He's a werewolf, but the territories versions of werewolves by default are not, like, necessarily violent. Like, they do turn and they do have to uh, kind of be kept away from people. But they're shepherds which is a cool kind of twist on that where yeah it's an an interesting the 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 sort of territories equivalent of the midwestern farmers are essentially like generally good but occasionally dangerous 
mm-hmm. which is a which is a weird kind of coastal intellectual way of looking at Middle America. Yeah. Oh, they're were they're werewolves. <laughs> There's fine. It's just it's just every election year they they make decisions that kill millions of people. Yeah, instead but, of every, you know, uh, usually they're fine. Yeah, instead of every 28 days, it's every 4 years they they, they turn into monsters. Uh yeah, who ravage everything. Ugh. Um I'm trying I I'm, I am try, I I am doing my part here in Ohio to fight the great sort, everybody. I will vote D in fucking Jim Jordan's district. Sorry, didn't mean to make that political. I, I no, hate, it's I fine. Hate my I, boy, I, I just got back from visiting uh, my my family in Southern Illinois, and there was a lot of a lot of ambient Fox News. Yeah, I know that's a thing. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that this would have even occurred. Like, and I don't know that this analogy was real, but it wouldn't mm-hmm. have certainly have not occurred to me if I had not been back there when I was reading it. Like, oh yeah, these people are kind of like werewolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but wolf is incredibly uh good natured you know he's kind of kind of simple um yeah, he's he's dopey yeah d- d- dopey would be would be the good word for it um and he has a nervous tick nervous tick where he just says his name like he's a pokemon yeah <laughs> and 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 punctuates things by saying right here and now which mm-hmm. is also real good and man they just they make you love him right away by having him just like jack meets a werewolf and the wolf's like, oh, hey, I'm Wolf. By the way, how's your dad who I knew? <laughs> like, wait, what? Uh, oh, okay, yeah, we're best friends right. now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're best friends now. You, you, you can smell that I am my dad's son. That's weird, but okay. Um, and, and they make you love him even more by making him incredibly vulnerable. Because, you know, shortly after this meeting, you know, Morgan appears. And, you know, this is where he does the whole sky ripping thing and shoots lightning and destroys most of the herd they <laughs> so jack ha, you know flips back over to america with wolf and now wolf is a stranger in a strange land uh he hates being here he is vulnerable it makes him sick but in spite of that jack becomes wolf's new herd so jack he wants to protect jack but jack is the one who knows how to get places so like he is immediately made vulnerable and you want to care for something that is vulnerable yeah, he's he's sort of scared all the time, and Jack's responsible for him because he knows that it was his fault that he was there. This is where Jack finds out that he, he at least believes that the last time he flipped through, he caused that earthquake, and so he is afraid yeah. of going back, and that's why he ends up stuck here with Wolf for so long. Yes. Yeah. So, um, bad news, because Wolf uh, is claustrophobic, like, if you just spent your entire life as a nomadic person uh living under the stars uh who also you know didn't necessarily want to smell the gasoline and the you know rotten burger king bag in the back of somebody's car uh you wouldn't want to get in a car either and so wolf can't hitchhike uh however wolf will carry <laughs> will carry yeah, jack can just give him a piggyback ride for hundreds of miles at a time. <laughs> just without fatigue <laughs> so good <laughs> Um, you, you do get to see there is one like normal, uh oh, the moon's full. Uh, all right, I'm about to turn into a wolf, so uh, you better go get a big padlock so you can lock me up. And mm-hmm. so they get a padlock, and then at the last minute, he's like, oh, right, uh, this actual this was actually so I could lock you up. Yep, <laughs> so Jack, Jack gets locked in a shed while Wolf runs around eating all of the livestock in a 30 mile area, <laughs> yeah, for I... a few days. I, I, it's it's three days. I love the description. Like he ate squadrons of dogs and pl- platoons of cats. Yep. 
and he keeps he keeps coming back and like tossing haunches of raw meat into the shed <laughs> to fe- because he has this he still has this vague awareness that he's responsible for Jack mm-hmm. even though he can't be trusted to get near him or he would eat him. Yeah. Um it's incredibly good. I I I like I like that scene a lot. I additionally really like when Jack tries to take him to the movies. Uh, because Jack, he, you know, he, he's, he's not slept in days or what seems like days and like, they just need a, like a place inside. So they take him to the movies and the sound is way too much. And the smell of people smoking pot is way too much. And it causes Wolf to just do a, just a, just a straight up, just hundred mile freak out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he, he he loves the smell of the popcorn, but he asks if he can have some without the pee on it because he assumes that the fake butter is some kind of pee, yeah. which is pretty good. I like that. Uh, I don't know. The next time I smell movie theater popcorn, I'm going to see if the butter has any kind of ammonia scent to it because uh, he also I mean, says it, looks, it smells you like know, pee. It, it looks like pee. It does. It does. For sure. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, like just for, for a little bit, this book turns into like a, like, like, like a buddy road trip movie. Um, and it's great because Wolf is so, is so positive and just a comic relief character stuck in between just these really, you know, just kind of very dark and bleak scenes, you know, you know, the only tap and then, and and then, you know, where they're ultimately going to go. No, like, like it quite a bit. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Uh, so part three, A Collision of Worlds. Um, unfortunately, this is where we lose Wolf uh, because they're picked up by an Indiana town sheriff um, after they hitchhike with somebody uh, who gives Jack a, a, a joint and he swallows it in order to stop, you know, in, in order to make sure, they, make sure they don't get caught with it. Um, however, he is so high that they think that he, uh, you know, like, hey, you know, we got to get this kid you know, and, and, and do a place to take care of them. Oh yeah. We are corrupt. And we're by this, uh, you know, just a horrible place called the sunshine home. So let's send them there. Cause we get 20 bucks. Yeah. Which was a kind of a televangelists, uh, horrible chain gang camp. Yeah. For boys. Yeah. Or who are basically, who are basically brainwashed into loving being there. Yeah, straight up. Uh, I mean, the, the the parallels between between Sunlight Gardner and Jim Jones are, uh, you know, made explicitly in this, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a you know, it's it's a work camp basically where uh, the, 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 they are taken, and it is headed by the uh, the twinner, um, the twinner of uh, Osmond, who we saw earlier. Uh, this guy, Sunlight Gardner, who's kind of a, a you know Billy Graham type figure, who keeps a tight leash on everybody, and also forces them to do public confessions that are also recorded um and has the entire place rigged for sound um and has the has the kids basically work the land to do any kind of you know any kind of farming to sell stuff and then also go out and do more kind of like recruitment and outreach outreach kind of stuff um and this section of the book is basically just a prison movie they they get in there and they're the new fish yeah. and uh there's the the scene that my dad had me read when the book came out and i don't i don't know like never in all of the years since have i understood why this why this of all of the paragraphs or four in this book it was where uh heck bast tries to punch wolf and wolf like catches his fist and just crushes it (laughs) into into a mangled pinwheel and so for for like the 10 years between when i read that and when i actually read the book i was like okay this is a book where there's a 
character named Wolf and a character named Heck. <laughs> and they get into a fist fight. I, uh-huh. it, like, like, what is this about? I like, I have less of an idea than if I had read none of it. <laughs> but uh, it's an especially and, brutal scene, too. Yeah, which I, I mean, I think it was just described very well yeah. and very viscerally, which is why. But he wasn't like he wasn't in the habit of just like here, read the most violent passage of this thing where the whole book is a little bit past your age level. Yeah, um, it was just that I don't, I don't, I don't know what that was all about. Very strange. Yeah. Um, Heckbast is kind of one of the, uh, uh, he, he's another inmate there, basically. But he uh, is, is kind of been appointed a leader. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a crony of, uh, of Sunlight Gardeners. Um, and, you know, runs afoul of, of, of Wolf. Uh, and, you know, Wolf, they, they keep him there for 30 days. So it is enough time that he is going to be in danger of, you know, of, of turning. And that's basically how this how this works out there's a brief jaunt over to the territories as they try to escape but the equivalent of the sunlight home in the territories is a big open pit mine uh manned by just radioactively mutated uh werewolves and things like that and and guys guys where the just gargoyles yes. like straight up literal gargoyles where he's like oh this is where the gar- this place right here in indiana in the territories is where the gargoyle myth must have come from yeah somebody saw like, these gargoyles oh, huh yeah <laughs> took it Went from the new to world to the old world <laughs> yeah gar- yeah you know they didn't ha- they didn't have gargoyles until they're like tomatoes yeah. you think of them as being a <laughs> as being a thing they had in europe you know but <laughs> oh, the, the the deadly nightshade and gargoyles yeah yep. <laughs> uh also any any of the kids who are who, who are a real problem uh specifically the people who snitched on sunlight gardener to the uh to, to the news are sent over to uh are sent over to work on the in the radioactive mine as well like they uh they, they confirm that like somebody that they liked at the camp who got who you know who who got you know disappeared uh you know appeared over there and uh and and, and was killed by a twinner of heck yeah, but, but then for some reason and this was another weird continuity thing then for some reason they bring him back to this world to bury him so yeah. that he can be so that he can be evidence later which like come on yeah they just like you you did, it, it was like all right we want to confirm that we that, you know we want to confirm that your friend got killed as a result of like being too much of a smartass at this school. So we'll show them finding his corpse and identifying it later. But then in the previous chapter, you, oh, I forgot you literally saw him die in this mine. Yeah. So we didn't need to do that. Actually, that that was that was another one of the continuity things that I was like, mm, that feels not super on purpose. Yeah, that um, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hmm. But again, maybe they were just breaking that rule to to make it feel like there was more justice for Sunlight Gardener, you know, that Ferd's, you know, for Ferdinand is the name of the character, uh, that, that, that his family understood, like maybe they were going for the emotional payoff as opposed to the logical yeah. rule payoff. Um, but they don't show, you know, there's not like any ridiculous, because Ferd, Ferd Janklow is, A, that's a super good name. It's a good name. Ferd Janklow. <laughs> uh, but he's like, he's there because his parents are super evangelical and he's just like kind of a smart ass kid. But, the, and, you know, they don't get him. So they essentially like send him to the equivalent of military school, except it's this corrupt, evil thing. Right. But they don't get, you know, they don't get their, I mean, they, he's he dies. Uh-huh. But you don't get the sense that that would bother them that much. You know, right. there's no there's no real redemption arc there. It's it seems like a yeah. Weird. There's no no real 
no real need to bring that information back into the real world if they weren't going to do anything with it in the story. Right. Yeah. That's a bummer. All this comes to the head, uh, comes to a head when uh, sunlight uh, takes Jack and tortures him with a lighter. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to say like, Hey, like, like, where have I seen you before again? Because this is Osmond's twinner. He's got this recollection. Um, and Jack even hears him talking on the phone saying like, Hey, uh, Morgan, because Morgan Sloat owns a controlling interest in this. He seems to own everything. I would be surprised if he didn't own a, a slice of the Oakley tap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like just, you know, I, I know that I've seen this kid before. This is dreadfully important that I understand if he is associated with this other world that I'm very much aware of, I'm going to torture him. Uh, oh, also his friend is a werewolf who's going to eat half of my kids. Um, and I'm going to run off because I'm a coward. Yep. Yeah. He wolf transforms early because they, they lock him in the like solitary confinement torture box. Yes. And it's like. It's apparently like you get stressed up and stressed out enough as a wolf, you will transform even when the moon's not full, but it like really messes you up. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to me, it was kind of implied that even if he wasn't, you know, shot and killed uh, in the altercation, the, that he would. Yeah, he the, the, would this be... was this was the end of him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is super sad and it messes with a Jack quite a bit again, you know, because he likes Wolf as the reader. We like Wolf. Um, and it's a bummer because I, even on this reread, I couldn't remember if he was really dead or not because they, he like force ghosts. He like yes. disappears. His body disappears after he dies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I feel like maybe I kind of remember a scene later where it turns out he's still alive in the territories, but like, no, no, it's just really similar because all the wolves are really similar. Yeah. But it's almost like a hive mind kind of thing they've got going on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Um, but yeah, Jack is out on the road. He doesn't have his buddy anymore. Um, and it is only a short way to get to the Thayer school where his best friend from childhood, who happens to be Morgan Sloat's son, Richard Sloat is uh, taking classes at this, you know, incredibly upscale kind of private school. Yeah. Uh, this preppy, preppy <laughs> Academy. And this is, this is the stage of the hero's journey where you dramatically downgrade your traveling companion. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So where, where you, where you just, where you just trade somebody magical and in, instantly likable for the skeptical jerk <laughs> yep. who is, who is sick all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So then he's, yeah, he's just kind of, uh, <laughs> Yeah, the Thayer School, it's it's something that struck me about this. It, like, the the Oatly Tap, the the Sunshine Sunlight Academy, I can never think of the, the, remember the name of that, and the Thayer School, those things are so, it's, it, it is unusual, at least in my memory of Stephen King books, for there to be three beats that are so kind of similar. Right. right, where you kind of get trapped in a place for basically the same reason. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like an editor would have pulled one of those. Yeah, things. or we need to diminish one of these or uh, combine them a, yeah. a, a little bit. Yeah. Like all, the plot all the plot stuff needs to happen, mm -hmm. but, but it's, yeah, it, it, it just felt very, as I, as I was reading through it this month, I'm like, oh, right, you know, in my memory... I think the Thayer School and the Sunlight Academy were maybe the same thing, even though that doesn't make sense with who the characters are. Yeah. But, like, but yeah, it, it just struck me as a very weird, like, all right, well, we've written down these three beats. Now let's do them. And they're all 
variations on a theme. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a little bit harmed because each of these set pieces is a place for further exposition to happen, recollections or, you know, things that are similar to things that happened in Jack's childhood. So we're also getting a lot of um, flashback in this as well. Um, and it ends up feeling just like a little bit gooey in the middle. Um, and it doesn't feel like the plot especially is moving forward, even though we are being introduced to important people and important concepts. That said, I'm always happy to have more of the, you know, things bleeding between worlds and, oh, what does the territory's evil version of this thing look like? And what does the good version of this thing look like? And that, you know, I, I certainly... The first time I was reading this, at least, I did not want the book to be any shorter. Right. I think it's just in, in retrospect. Like, yeah. Hmm. Um, did you read this in full before or after you played Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past? Uh, I think it was before. No, it was after. Okay. It was definitely, definitely yeah. after it, it was written before, but definitely I read it. After. Yeah. I just like, after, after <laughs> I was, I was reading, I was listening to this and I was like, oh yeah, this is like totally linked to the past stuff. Uh, the, the, the idea of the evil equivalent of a thing in a, in, in a different world. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Richard is very different. Um, compared to Jack and they, you know, the, their differences mirror some of the differences, differences between Jack's dad and Richard's dad. Um, you know, Jack has kind of always been a bit of a magical thinker, uh, because of his daydreams and his, you know, general associations, whereas Richard for reasons that we're going to learn a little bit more about later, he is extremely rational. Like he is not somebody who reads like fiction for fun. Like the descriptions of his books are all like histories and economic books and things like that. Just somebody who has no real imagination, but a very strong veneer of practicality to him. Uh, that it does, he does say that he will read some science fiction, but only like Arthur C. Clarke and like the really hard sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, stuff. only the hard, the hard sci-fi stuff. You know, your 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 Heinleins. You don't want to get into, you know, the the the, the, the crazy hippie sci-fi. Yeah, only your real uh, incest heavy. Yeah. <laughs> the. Yeah. Um, and I, I like this because Richard, you know, is coming up with a bunch of logical, reasonable, reasonable explanations for what Jack is telling him. Jack is holding back Richard's father's involvement in all of this. Um, but, you know, Richard's saying like, oh, like, you've, you know, did you get addicted to drugs and end up at the sunlight school? Um, you know, like maybe the campus is being overrun. Like he's got all these explanations that just involve drug cartels taking an interest in him for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah. And he's, and he begins to believe, oh, I'm hallucinating all of this. I must have the flu. I must have the fever. Yeah. You know, like maybe this is a brain tumor. Maybe this is dementia. What I love, and this doesn't happen for, you know, until a little bit later, but like the, the, the way that he figures out like, okay, this is actually real and this is not a creation of my mind. When Jack takes him into the territories and he sees an hourglass, he says, okay, yeah, that's my proof. Because if it was left to me to imagine a primitive clock, it would be made of a bunch of big gears and shit. Like I would not imagine something as simple as an hour. Class. Yeah, it never would have occurred to him something that simple. Yeah, that was that was such a good little character moment. Yeah, like that quite a bit. Don't care for Richard too much. Jack seems to care for him, so he's fine. I won't kick him. I, I won't say okay. I'm not going to go to a group dinner with you guys. Um, 
He Jack has this sense, though, that somehow it is important for Richard to be there when he gets to the talisman. That's never is that borne out? It n- no, okay. not, not really. It, no, it turns out this is he's just going to be dead weight. Yeah, and the thing I have to take care of, as near as I could tell. Yeah. Although I guess he does help him at the camp they go through. Maybe one guy with an Uzi wouldn't have been able to possibly pull, pull that off. But anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but right now, they are in this school, and we see another way that the worlds are kind of drifting into each other in a very, you know, evocative horror way. So, like, I immediately keyed into this, like, oh, yeah, this feels a lot like Silent Hill to me, because they are good. I haven't played any Silent Hill, but it felt to me like when you – it was, like, sort of Stranger Thingsy, like, when you start to see the – versions of the school that are in the upside down in stranger things like this is what yeah it's described yeah um that 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 is another good comparison because you know that they're locked in you know basically trapped in this in this dorm room uh with (laughs) with the with the fat roommate um watching as the upperclassmen you know are replaced with their evil twinners and the actual kind of just like geography uh geometry in a video game term uh is just wearing away and becoming the degraded alternate version of it so like they're in this room and they see these splotches uh starting to grow on the walls and like bugs are starting to be born out of them as the building itself gets sick and the campus is overtaken by werewolves that's so good it just describes this like wild these wild dogs that are just going crazy and one of them just biting the leg of a brass statue mm-hmm. and just it's just teeth and blood flying out of its oh, man. <laughs> I don't know why my dad didn't show me that passage when I was a kid. That it's was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um but the heat gets turned up way too much. And they end up uh, kind of escaping across campus into the school's depot because it was built on a train line. You know, fair. This person was a was a railroad magnate of some sort. Um, And they flip over into conveniently uh, a depot in the territories where Richard Sloat has set up an electrical train that just goes all the way across the country. They find their own blame the mono. Yeah, which is sort of pointed at the same kind of territory that Blaine the Mono goes through. And it's also kind of the thing the trash can man drives back to Yeah. To Vegas because <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is a we find out shortly after this it's a train that's loaded up with Uzis and plastic explosive. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to the, that is going to go across a you know the, the the blasted lands is what this is called. This is the result of uh, nuclear testing, specifically above ground nuclear testing that had gone on. Um, that you know over in America, you know just irradiated parts of the desert. Over here, that magnified to basically make the entire west co- west coast, uh, you know, a place full of mutants and fireballs, and they get all this exposition from. You know, a railroad a railroad worker that they may called Anders, who describes, you know, blasted land sickness, which is just radiation sickness. Yeah. And the, the, the weird thing, it's it's a lot like the way the way that the stuff is described in the wastelands. And even some of the like being on a train with weird mutants on either side of you is also right out of just the gunslinger. Yep. 
which came before this. But those fireballs just really feel like he'd also been playing some Pac-Man yep. when he wrote this. Because, like, what is, what is that? I don't know. I, I, I'm not aware of a situation that would just lead to unmotivated fireballs. Just roll, just moving around. Like, yeah. sometimes switching directions. Like, <laughs> all right. I, I, I don't know. But this, um... Yeah, they like they they agree to take the bullet for uh for, for for Anders, saying like, hey, well, you know, we'll we'll ride this train because riding the train is essentially a death sentence. Um, and this is where we learn a little bit more about uh Jack and Jason, right? And we kind of find out that like, yeah, so Jason is the deceased winner of Jack. That's why he's single natured. Um, and Jack's spirit has been coming, or J- Jason's spirit has been coming to help him. You know doing a little bit of like a like a, a benign possession almost that is going on occasionally he will refer to himself as jason yeah it describes it describes him as just being sort of like hardened by the stuff that's happening to him but also becoming more kind of ineffably beautiful yeah in a way that everybody picks up on and people just start to trust him yeah um and anders just falls all over himself as though he were the second coming yes. because he is <laughs> But but Anders gets disillusioned when Jack tries to pay him for the hospitality. Somehow, like yep. Anders turns on him for a really uh, yeah, for a really that, mundane that reason. Out a lot. Yeah. Oh my god. Jeez. <laughs> Why'd you have to bring money into this? Um, yeah. But they head out, and they're on this electric train full of weapons, just headed across the Mad Max wasteland, uh, blasting mutants <laughs> as Richard gets sicker and sicker. Uh, and it is not strictly radiation sickness that richard is getting it is like the pro the proximity to his dad is causing this kind of blight on his skin that eventually like turns into these sores that erupt in bugs and stuff the monsters out here are like they they run into some intelligent ones later which are very very disturbing yes um and it's all like hybrids almost right like that are that that are tracking them to a certain extent, like they are keeping themselves um, like just like just over the next hill line and organizing their attack. Yeah, yeah they're being stalked. <laughs> um, but this line terminates at a uh, militia training camp. Um, uh, Morgan Sloat owns one of these, too. In fact, he used to bring his son to used to bring his son to the one in their world. Yeah, in in the American territories, it's like a a sort of prepper training camp for for like fat business dudes who have fantasies about surviving yep. World War Three. Uh, but yeah, in in the territories, it's a place for for Morgan to to train the like the, everything that they've done to describe werewolves. The fact that they then have them doing jumping jacks uh-huh. at this camp is like, dude. <laughs> I don't think that's necessary. Like, the, these guys can run hundreds of miles without stopping. I think you're probably going to be fine without the calisthenics. Oh, I remembered another female character. Oh, uh, there's that that lizard woman, <laughs> that lizard, uh, that lizard man thing. That they're like, oh crap, that's a lizard woman. Yeah. Oh, just the way the like the vestigial. Like she's halfway through transformation. Like it's got scaly breasts that are bouncing up and down. Yeah. yeah. Just just some just some bouncing 
bats and titties on a crocodile yeah. monster. Cool. Yeah, and and when like is it is it at the camp or is it in the town around the black hotel the black hotel where there's the the, the nude skeletal woman who oh, is the, yeah the crazy nude lady yeah with the chains to her nipples who is like ripping out her hair and offering it to people saying hey have a bouquet. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Uh, four and a half five, to five, five women. women yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh geez uh so this is a big uh this is a big action scene they've got these uzis um this is fine i i generally i zach i don't think the action is very well described in this yeah it was just like you know uh, it's kind of like a video game in the sense of like First, I shot one dude, then I shot another dude, then I shot another dude, then I shot another dude, yeah. then I shot another dude. Like, uh, okay. Like, 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 there are times, especially like when they're talking about like beat to beat, and this doesn't always happen, but sometimes in these in the descriptions of these actions, it feels like an R.A. Salvatore kind of problem, where he gets so into describing Driss, you know. You know, uh, scimitar moves or the you know when he writes star wars like he's all about describing you know every single leap and turn in, in a lightsaber fight that like although at least that that probably you know that stuff had the excuse of having been a dungeons and dragons campaign where right. what he's describing is just a tactical miniatures battle that they like yeah you know it's it's like they mapped it's like they were pushing little soldiers around to to figure out what was going on with this sequence yeah yeah, I just um, I I prefer maybe a more abstracted action scene. Yeah, yeah, there could have been a, there could have been a highlights reel. Yeah, like uh, you know, compare this to you know, understand this is decades later, but like the shootout at the beginning or the shootout that happens when uh, Roland and Eddie go to the gas station in Song of Susanna, where there is combat happening in that, but it is mostly a um a vehicle for dialogue, and the combat is happening kind of as as an ambient. Uh, kind of background detail. And I feel like even the shootout in when they go to Balazar's in the drawing of the three. Yeah. I that even though I read the shootout that we're talking about now this morning, I don't remember any details from it, really. Yeah. And that Balazar one, it's been 10 years since I read it. And I still just I can just see it mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. Like, like I, I can that was written only like three years later. Maybe this is another Straub. Possibly. Yeah. Like I, I just, I, I can, I can picture in my head, like the wood paneling just getting shredded off of those walls. And here, the only detail I have is the were goat Elroy just being dispatched, um, you know, instantly by, by, by an Uzi and they clear everybody out. Um, the one detail that I like here is Osman's son. Yeah. Who <laughs> is just, a, who's just a, uh, like, well, I don't, I don't, he like. He's he's a pathetic mutie who has half of a face and part of him has been tentaclified. Yeah, I picture he's like a he's like a like a meatwad or something. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, just just kind of like a like a sad blob. Yeah, that, and who, um, who they just end up killing? Or Jack ends up killing him with the, with a silver coin. Yeah, this is this is the part of the hero's journey where he starts using up all the charges in his magic items. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, so the, he uses the coin to kill to kill. Uh, it, because let's see the that's sunlight gardener's son who's come across, or is that is that so that is sunlight gardener's tw- uh, son's twinner. 
is so, twinner. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, so Sunlight Gardner's actual son over in the American territories, he was a student at Thayer who was a psychopath. Like Richard definitely saw him torturing animals, uh, things okay, like right. that. Um, and over here, um, uh, what's his name? Osmond had just kind of like parked him had had parked his son in the blasted lands. And this is what he became. Um, when, uh, Jack kills this son over here, over in the American Tory territory, sunlight son has a seizure. Um, and, and, right, and passes right, away. right, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and that causes sunlight to lose what was left of his mind basically. And every word is either axiomatic or, uh, you know, bad, bad boy, baddest, bad, bad, baddest, bad boy. Yep. <laughs> Good. bad bad yeah, bad we're, bad we're, boys yeah. we're almost there like the the plot train the, the the literal train stops moving right as the plot train starts moving real fast yes <laughs> because they get they, they get out of here and we get a little bit of um exposition so richard says like yeah i, I know more of this than than i let on we get this last exposition dump talking about how at one point in the past he had followed his dad into the territories and was attacked and this caused him to just completely shut off um, any, you know, anything that would allow for the existence of what he calls Seabreeze Island stuff, referring to a time when they talked about this, um, on vacation in, uh, in, in, in a South Carolina, South Carolina Island. Um, and he's seen like a lot of these people before, like, you know, he, he has seen sunlight and he has seen Osmond and known that they are, you know, roughly similar that they have appeared, you know, around Morgan, um, and you know, this is around where we learn that like, yeah, Jack's father's Phil, it was a hunting accident. And in stories, a hunting accident is never a hunting accident. Um, Morgan had hired, uh, Osmond to do the deed for him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's confirmed. I mean, I, I think like Jack had pieced it together and mm -hmm. assumed that he had been responsible for it, but Richard confirms it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we also learn, you know, Morgan wants to kill Jack and very nearly did. Like there was a flashback earlier in the um, earlier in the book about um, how when Jack was six months old, he had stopped breathing in his crib. Uh, Morgan had tried to suffocate him, but uh, was brought back to life. You know, they, 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 they had gotten him to the uh, or done CPR on him, um, uh, you know, uh, and that brought him back. Whereas in the other world, uh, Jason was not so lucky. Yeah. So they get to Point Venuti, the kind of just uh, ruined, like wildfire ravaged town around the Black Hotel. And we've been hearing like tell of this place that the that the talisman is housed in and how foreboding it is. Um, and this is another place where the worlds are kind of bleeding together. Uh, the description of this just ruined seaside town um, is Italian chef fingers kiss whatever yeah, you say that very very good even down to the i mean that the the crazy naked lady mm -hmm. wandering around dancing yep like that's real evocative mm -hmm. just just alone in the middle of the street <laughs> yeah incredibly good even the black hotel itself is incredibly my my shit <laughs> because you know even on the outside every time they look at it it begins to change um, you know, at one point it looks like it's, uh, you know, a gigantic castle with parapets and stuff like that looming over the looming over the town, dwarfing it. Um, then it turns into like a Victorian kind of thing. I'm just I'm always going to be down for ever shifting malevolent architecture. 
Yeah, just growing on its own. <laughs> very, very good. This place is this place is great, and I and like I wish they had spent more time here and less time in the three similar locations as part of it. Yes, this this feels like it's. Uh, but I don't know. You know, maybe the magic of this would be destroyed if you saw more more details of it. Yeah, um, and I think that. I think that just the, the the nature of writing to describe what's going on here means that if they had done a lot more of it, it may have gotten more fatiguing. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> we're firmly in like anything can happen territory, you know, like yeah. Speedy is here and he's sick from having crossed the, you know, the, 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 the blasted lands. Um, and he gives them a, a, a horse shaped raft <laughs> to get to the hotel by water. Uh, kind of echoing a detail from when Jack helped him repair a merry-go-round on the other side of the country. Um, and yeah. And it talked about Jack having imagined himself as a knight going in on horseback. And then he goes in on like this inflatable horse. Like, eh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, Richard, like we said, he's, you know, fallen ill at this point. Like his eyes are completely swollen shut as some like gardener is taking pot shots at them with a sniper rifle. <laughs> um, yeah, and Jack has to go into this house alone and defeat five ghost knights. And yeah, just like suits of armor, which in the territories have like three hundred year old vampire zombies in them, mm -hmm. and in the and in the normal world are empty. Yeah, this is it was cool. That, yeah, but like why are there five of them? Yeah, like and you, what? you th three of three of them. The three in the middle are just like there's like really long sequence fighting one of them, and then he killed three more, and then really long sequence fighting the last one. And like, wait, wait, what? Again, the specific tropes that are being used here, I feel pandered to because the idea of a haunted suit of armor that stands between you and the thing you're trying to get to, like, yeah, um, give it, yeah, give it, to, give it to me. Uh, every time he kills one, one of the uh, the the weather vanes on top of the hotel stops spinning. Ah, so good. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, in 1984, it's a little bit early for all this like video game stuff to be to, to yeah, be brought over. It, it does get real video game there yeah. in the. <laughs> He starts shifting, shifting between like and 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 sort of. It, it seems like this is kind of a culmination of the times where he moves around and times where the world just encroaches because he's kind of flickering back and forth between yeah. the territories version, which is this ominous dark castle, mm -hmm. and the and the real world version. I, I should stop saying the real world. He stopped thinking of it as the real world. <laughs> I know, it's right? The it's the American, territories. the American territories, the yeah. prime material plane. Yes. Um, but he gets to the, ta the talisman, which is like a globe from Tron. Um, yeah, it, so, okay. How big is the talisman? Very explicitly, they say it is three feet across, which seems really big to me. Yeah. I, and I always picture for the entire rest of the book, them doing all of this <laughs> stuff that they're doing while carrying like a huge beach ball. Yeah. But it's obviously it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't in multiple reads of this book miss the point where it shrinks to a, a, a manipulatable size. Yeah. I like the, the way he is wielding it like a weapon um makes it seem like it shrinks down to be about the size of a baseball yeah you know and it, it is it keeps being described as a thing that he has in one hand but i it, okay good yeah. again i <laughs> i'm like, glad i'm glad that i wasn't just cuz i thought well okay 
you know, I'm st- I still have the same brain yeah. that I had the first time I read this. Maybe there's just something that causes me to always my eyes just slip over the part where it shrinks. Yeah. Uh, but good. It's good. it just it seems like it necessarily has to because he uses it to heal people like he rolls it over them. And I don't think it's like he's rolling one of those big volleyballs from gym class over them. Mm. Yeah. Or like a yoga ball. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just here, here you go, Richard hold still. Um, this is where we get all of the psychedelia. Like even before he grabs it, he is falling through different versions of the world and seeing them just, you know, different iterations where, you know, different parts of this, uh, different parts of this place, you know, or underwater, or, you know, in different sequences. And when he grabs it, yeah, there's a part of it where he's fighting. He's fighting the night, and they're on a, they're like in the rigging in the crow's nest of a ship. Oh, so good! Such a, such a good detail. <laughs> yep. It's like just different genres that this could be. <laughs> oh yeah, like you're, this is what's happening in pirate world. <laughs> um, when he when he grabs the talisman, uh, you know, a, a few things happen. He in he for a moment becomes everything. You know, again, because this the, the talisman is this axle um, of all worlds. It contains all worlds. It is an analog to the Dark Tower itself. Um, and it shows him basically what it is like to be a god. And he immediately rejects that. Yeah, and this was the last way that Morgan... Morgan is remaining confident that he's going to win this. And this was like the sort of kind of insurance policy idea that he had. Even if he gets in there, he will just end up... He won't be able to handle the power of the thing, mm-hmm. and he'll just he'll be nowhere because he'll be everywhere. Right. And we, either way, we won't have to worry about him anymore. Right. We could, we could Which just... maybe maybe almost happens. Yeah. He, uh, he sees a Googleplex of sparrows fall. Yes. Um, a go- a Googleplex. Y- yes. Um, I I I like these descriptions and stuff. I could see how somebody could be uh could be turned off by it. <laughs> I don't know. No, I just like. I, I I liked it. It was a it was a weird like oh this is just like the it's just like the child's version of a number that's too large to count you know oh yeah like, the, J- like a million billion 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 sparrows like, yeah I I saw jillions of sparrows just up and fall from the dang old sky yeah <laughs> uh, but he rejects that and when he takes it just immediately this wave of retribution and reward goes across the country touching everybody that interacted with him on his journey yeah everyone who met him and liked him is like ah cool yeah. <laughs> and he did it every enemy he had just immediately like <laughs> explodes self to self destruct like just a, a, any any propane tank that is near the, that is near them explodes if there is no propane tank near them one walks to get close to him and that explodes. <laughs> yeah. If you if you do not have a dangerous volatile propane court, one will be provided to you by the talisman. Yeah. <laughs> that was not exactly the sentence that I was trying to say, but you get that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh this is where the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing is. Um I believe. Oh yeah, anyway. one of the guys just his face melts off, yep. leaving only his skull. Yeah. No, this is his his eyes explode and then his and then his face melts off. Melts off like wax. Yeah. And uh, good job, guys. <laughs> um, I, I I liked this because it to, to me it just evokes one of my favorite things from the expanded version of the stand the the no great loss uh, section, which is just straight up said here. Like yeah. you just says like oh no, no no great loss. Like okay yeah, this is before that edition was released, but again these ideas are here and they pop up elsewhere. Um, 
And so Jack, he's got this now, you know, he has this, you know, world within all worlds. Um, and he uses it to heal Richard. And this leads to this big final confrontation on an earthquake torn beach. Um, everything has, you know, most of the other enemy you know, enemies, most of the minions have been, uh, have been dispatched by the earthquake. So it is just, it is, it is just Jack and sunlight and, um, you know, Richard slash Morgan Sloat. Yeah. And sunlight gets dispatched pretty readily. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, because the talisman catches the glint off of his sniper rifle scope and then sends it back at him causing his gun to explode um which is a good uh it's a it's a good bit of irony for his uh for for, for his nickname um i like the fight with with morgan uh quite a bit both morgan sloat and morgan oris a because morgan has bit his own tongue off like just his his, his bit his, 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 <laughs> he, puts his, he puts his thumbs in his ears and goes like blah, 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 at jack but but he's so mad while he's doing this stupid thing that he bites the end of his tongue off yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredibly good. good um but uh but morgan is kind of like flipping back and forth uh between worlds and between being um uh, uh morgan avoris um and he is he is doing this in order to freak jack out so 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 Mor morgan is going away in our world and it seems like he's teleporting everywhere no he's just flipping back and forth between realities and the time dilation makes it seem like that or the distance dilation makes it seem like that yeah. Um so so Jack flips over and you know uses the talisman to deal with Morgan Avoris and his lightning rod key what have you. Um Yeah, that was a, I don't know that we mentioned that. There's a scene described where Sloat in the real world is just at a thrift store in some random town mm -hmm. and sees a tin soldier and he buys it for some reason because he thinks that the key in its back is important. And yeah. the key turns out to be a magic wand that shoots lightning bolts mm -hmm. in a just very video gamey. Yes. Yeah. Kind of way. Yeah. And in incre incredibly D and D. <laughs> Um, also, it's just described as a lightning rod, which, like, dude, that phrase already means something, and it's not this exactly. Like, a lightning yeah. wand. A, a wand would make sense. Um, yeah, no, they're just like, and, and they say like, oh, it has, it, it comes to a point as if the shape of a lightning rod, like I, mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, but Morgan's down like they've, they've got the talisman. It's, it's good. And they get to rescue speedy and they flip over the territories to meet Parkus, who looks like a younger brother of speedy who gives more, just basically more exposition. I can't remember. Is there anything important that happens here aside from just like, Hey, good job on your, on your quest. Uh, he tells him where to go next. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to meet the to meet their ride, yeah. basically, and says, "I'd come with you, but I've got a bunch of people to go kill." Yeah. <laughs> before they before they get wind of the fact that Morgan's dead and and head for the hills. Right. Right. Before they go to ground. Um. Yeah. Because he tells them that he tells them that Speedy Parker is not gonna die for quite a while yet. So that's nice. Yes, that's good. Yeah, Speedy is a good guy. Um, I believe in Black House, uh, Parkus is reckoned into being a gunslinger. Okay. Yeah. Knights. It's fine. I need to, I need to actually read the book to understand how to, to, to understand if that is bad or not. But yeah. So they go. Yeah. So good. I just don't rem I read Black House when it came out and I just, I don't remember anything about it. That's, which um, is the, that's, that's my indictment, I guess. I, it's. 
wasn't it, it was not foundational to me the way that this one was right so. right um you're not the only person i've spoken to who said that like when jeremy greer saw that um saw that i had black house on here i was like man i read that book i have no idea if that has any dark tower relation and i was like it seems pretty important to it <laughs> like yeah i just no idea mm -hmm. so apparently this that book is just teflon yeah it's like a it's like a harry potter Five. yeah like where it's like hmm, okay. I, rem I remember it being heavy <laughs> and and me reading the whole thing yeah it's that's it it's on my shelf i did like i can't i can't deny that it exists <laughs> yeah so they go they, they go meet the ride who is just one of wolf's litter mates you know jack gets his hope up thinking that it is gonna be wolf um turns out that wolf's mom has another litter uh somewhere around this point uh, with 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 one male. Oh, yeah, so that that was one of the good things that happens. Yes. Is I I guess yeah. postmenopausal werewolf lady has another <laughs> set of puppies. Maybe because, yeah, one, one of them male. So maybe wolf's going to be back in sixteen years. I don't know. Oh, yeah. okay. right. um, but they've got a they've got a briefcase full of cash and a werewolf who will drive them back to the other coast uh, while listening to one song. Run through the <laughs> jungle. Constantly listening to Creed. Yeah. Jungle. It's so good. <laughs> it's it's a good song. Wolf heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ah oh, man, I really like how the they show you this. This is from earlier, but the bad werewolves they talk like the normal, like the good werewolves, mm -hmm. but just with way more profanity yep <laughs> it's really good yeah i just I, I love the good werewolf bad werewolf dichotomy yeah <laughs> uh but they get back to new hampshire uh and after a you know brief scary scene with lily near death like morgan had arranged for her to be stranded alone um skeletal and wasted away from cancer in this hotel dying of pneumonia um and jack arrives just in time for the talisman to split open and issue its energy into her reviving her yeah in a kind of a weird like i don't know if you read i don't know if you read the parts of the the dune series post dune no but it, this kind of reminded me of a part of that where it's like oh this is like a, becoming a weird skin and then jack is like hey there's a vagina in there yeah like, what, what is this dude i don't like, I don't know what the implications are for this because like a, you know, the, the, the idea of like this new birth or whatever, I can see it from a, like a, like a symbolism kind of point of view. Uh, it just seems really incongruous with everything we've seen so far, even with the psychedelic pseudo sci-fi stuff that, that has popped up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well, so is now, now Jack's mom is the talisman. I don't know because the talisman just the turns... talisman was in her the whole time. <laughs> right. I mean, it is now when she dies, does everything disappear for everybody? Maybe because because the talisman very much seems to be you know an echo or a twinner of of the dark tower, just like the roses or just like Stephen King is in whatever reality he's on. Yeah, um, I I, I don't know. I, I've got no idea what 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 it eventually becomes. You know, that's the thing. It works if you don't try to apply a sort of a consistent metaphysics yeah, to it. because right? he didn't like, plan it. it. It's like, a fairy tale, right? Yeah. It's like, right. It's the reason that this thing goes and cures his mom is because that's what this book is about. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, and so the the ways in which we describe it, yeah, yeah maybe not as important. But, but yeah, absolutely not. What, what what matters what matters is the emotional truth that that, that that happens there. And the only reason I sound like I'm annoyed is because I am I am looking for a sense, and if there is a sense there, I don't want to look dumb for not having seen it. <laughs> Yeah, it it felt to me, and I, I, you know, I will admit to having read the last like fifteen percent of this book in a panic in the hour before yeah. uh, we recorded this. But like, I just like, boy, I don't remember, I don't remember that being so weird and dissatisfying. Yeah, at the end, yeah, and it ends very abruptly. Like, it, you know, it, it ends like you know she, she she she's back. You know, cuts away. We get an epilogue that is just I think like two sentences. Yeah, yeah one or two sentences. Yeah, for 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 Laura and, and for then, Laura De Los. Yeah, and then and then a conclusion which is actually just the conclusion from the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like well, uh, okay. Yeah, these kids. You know, everybody who's alive here as well. You know, if we if we said any more, it wouldn't be the story of a the story of a boy. It'd be a story of a man. Um, maybe yeah, we'll read, but, but it's read also explicitly characters. like, hey, I might want to write a sequel someday. So it's best to not. Uh, yeah, <laughs> best to not uh, over explain here. Like, huh, okay. Yeah, don't 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 want to paint ourselves in any corners two decades down the line. I mean, they kind of did the Animal House thing at, at the moment he picks up the talisman, right? Where, yes. You know, at the end of Animal House, where half yeah. of the people explode and half, <laughs> yeah. of, them, the half of them spontaneously give birth. Yeah, yeah the, 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 <laughs> the, the dean melts. <laughs> Whereabouts unknown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's the talisman. Uh and I think that at the end of this conversation, it, it, it kind of feels like it, it's a book that you really enjoy if you don't think about it too much. Would yeah. would no? I, I don't which, know. That, that, that's that's way more negative. It's a it's a fun book with a lot of really good beats. It is, yeah, and it, and it's and it's like clearly the breeding ground for so many of the ideas that became the overall arc of mm-hmm. the Dark Tower series. That you you know you kind of give it a pass as a as a rough draft, but yeah. But boy, for me, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I was thinking about it more critically because I knew that I was going to be talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. None of this made it any less, it certainly didn't retroactively go back and ruin the just wonder of reading this on the beach when I was 20. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was 19, 19, 19, 19. No, of course. Yes. They, uh, they, but, ah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> seriously thank you for giving me a context in which to to reread this and to be able to chat with you about it oh. like that this no, i love this book no, seriously thank you uh, you know the, the, these episodes about full books i know i know they're big ass but it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun talking with you especially as somebody who is just coming to the book um you know talking to somebody who has a long-standing and deep affection for it yeah yeah well, how do you how do you end these things, Cole? I don't remember. Well, um, I ask uh, Zach, where can people find you online? Uh, well, they can find me at Zap Jackson on Twitter, and uh, from there you can find more or less everything else. If you uh, if you want to play a fun cowboy game that I worked on a couple of years ago, you can buy West of Loathing mm-hmm. on the PC or on the Switch. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's... Um, I, I I recommend it, Zach. I admit that I have not played the expansion yet, so I need to I oh, need, to, need to fix. No, it's that. fine. A lot of people are waiting for it to come out on Switch. Oh yeah, you got to get on that. That may be a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, I also recommend people people go listen to uh, Video Games Hot Dog. Oh, thanks. Video buddy. game show that you do. Yeah. Um, as for me, uh, you know, you know where to find me on the network here, DuckV.TV, other podcasts and things. Um, Duckfest is happening August the thirty first uh, in Portland, Oregon. 
Uh, so go to duckfeed.tv slash duckfest. There will be no Radio Free Midworld at that, but bunches of other shows like Watch Out for Fireballs, Bonfireside Chat, etc. Um, you can watch my streams. I do uh, I stream horror video games on uh, the weekends at twitch.tv slash duckfeedtv, um, you know, in the, in the evenings on Friday and Saturday. Um, and otherwise, just stick around. We're going to get started with uh, book seven here uh, real soon. And we're going to work Black House in sometime later. Again, the structure of season seven is going to be a little bit strange because it is so long and because it pulls in a bunch of works just like kind of in the middle of it. Like there, there's a very particular point where it makes sense to talk about everything's eventual and a very specific point to talk about it and insomnia. So uh, look out for kind of a, a, a stranger season. But super happy to have your uh, to have your thanks, Zach, for coming on. Hey, yeah. thank you again. You're in the home stretch now. Yeah. Um, so, um, everybody, take care. Uh, we'll see you next time. And long days and pleasant nights. <laughs> <laughs>